Welcome to Surely You're Joking. Today's guest is somebody I've admired since I was a kid. I was a nerdy latchkey kid, so I'd come home and watch one of my favorite shows was Beekman's World. Very Nickelodeon-esque, slimy, kind of Double Dare style show that was popular in the 90s. But it was a science show, and it was very relatable, and I loved it. And I always wanted to meet Beekman, and I managed to track him down. He lives in the area. So today's guest is puppeteer, hilarious guy, still doing tours, really popular in South America and Mexico, as I found out. Paul Zaloom. Welcome to Surely You're Joking, Paul Zoom. So good to have you here. Um, I'm a huge fan of Beekman's World. Uh, even my kids watch it nowadays because it's on um, uh, it's on YouTube now, and I think it's on might have been on Netflix for a while. Um, it was, yes. We got um, evicted. You got evicted from Netflix? Apparently, yes. They do some weird things <clears throat> where they'll have a show like like that and then uh it's particularly frustrating my kids because they'll they'll get like hooked on it and then all of a sudden disappears and then and I'm, I'm like well i don't know where to find it other than that yeah i mean i guess you can buy them like episode by episode sometimes from amazon but it's usually really really expensive that way cause i have no idea all i know is i do get those checks for four cents oh awesome and, and thank <laughs> god great. for it <laughs> Awesome. Did you what, do you know why you got evicted or how that happened? I no, I have no idea. I mean, I don't think that the uh, studio has a gigantic vested interest in selling the thing, um, because you know it's not like a bundle of cash really involved in all of that. Mm-hmm. But the show is very popular in in Mexico and Brazil. I saw and, that on uh, your webpage. Yeah, you, and, you said that like uh, you you go down there and tour, right? Yeah, Chile, Ecuador, um, Guatemala. Um, in uh, Argentina. Uh, I've only been to Brazil and Mexico, but I've been a number of times, and they are fanatically crazy about the show. They yeah, just love I it. saw you posted some photos of the crowds, and it's just drawing huge crowds. Now, they must uh, they must uh, dub it, or do they subtitle it? Yeah, they dub it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you heard your, um, your alternative uh, Spanish-speaking version, or your Portuguese-speaking Well, he version? does live translation uh, for the live show. Uh, sometimes people hire him to do it. It's the same guy as a voiceover guy. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I met him, and I met the Brazilian guy that did the Brazilian voice. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool <laughs> meeting them. When, when I worked in Italy uh, while I did some uh, scientific research there, um, a lot of Italians told me there's these, uh, it's like each celebrity has their corresponding celebrity who's also a celebrity in right. Italy. And uh, and like no matter what, it's and to provide continuity, it's like it's always the same voice for the same actor. Um, right, right. Does, yeah, the cat that did mine, um, Juan Caballero, he <laughs> also does Will Smith. <laughs> so awesome. Go figure. I, I don't know. Paul Zaloom and Will Smith. Same yeah, guy. we got a lot in common. <laughs> now I've got to hear this. Uh, <laughs> so that way you could just tell people you've been in Men in Black. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I believe anything. I actually I performed in Sicily in a puppet theater because I'm a, a puppeteer. Yeah, That's I was, was going to get to yeah. that. But um. um, and and they had me do a commercial, and I just they gave me the text, and I did a little phonetic uh, adjustment, 
but I could pretty much read that cold. It's like so e- it's it's just so easy. There's no trickery to it. Uh-huh. And I love love Italian. That's it was awesome. really fun. Yeah, I really yeah. like the country and the language too. Started to learn a little bit, but then I I had to that postdoc ended, so um but the experiment goes on. <laughs> the right experiment on. there was quarry. It's a it's a giant crystal of um of tellurium oxide and it, we're looking for these very, very rare decays that occur inside of it. So we have to make it super cold, and we put it inside a mountain, and there can't be any background uh, radiation or noise, which is very hard because the, the surface is just full of stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, and then they're just looking for this tiny, tiny little extremely rare event huh? and try and count them up. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah sounds great. It was a fun experiment to work on. Um, yeah. Still in the papers, though. So that's the part that matters. I'm right. not working on the experiment anymore. Right. Um, yeah, so uh, do you know when it started airing down there? That made that... It, I don't. It must have been more recent, I'm guessing, to be such an explosion? Or? Yeah. I No, I think it aired in the 90s because the fan base down there is kids up to adults like in their mid-30s. Mm-hmm. So I think it was fairly parallel to when the show... You know, Beekmanville was on TV in the States starting in 92, and I think in first run it went till like 96 or 98 or something. We did 91 episodes, and... Um, so I think that's roughly when it was on. And then it, it came back. It was on MeTV or TV TV or I don't know where the hell. And then, uh, what do you call it? Netflix had it for a while. Yeah. Um, Netflix is bringing back a lot of shows like that. But but like we said, it's it's random. It's like they'll right. show up and then they'll disappear. But it's always like it's kind of fun because it'll be some you know, show just randomly it'll just come out and then my kids are seeing it and it's all out of context and stuff like uh like a funny one is sonic the hedgehog so sega as a system you know game system was like completely dead and sonic the hedgehog is one of those you know those kind of cartoons that was like half an ad for the game half entertainment so it just it appeared one day on netflix and then uh it actually like nowadays it's not very hard to resurrect those games because like our phones can run them and everyone has a laptop and a computer that's basically so those game companies started like re-releasing the the um the games because they suddenly had this like new base of interest in it from these like these older tv shows huh um i haven't watched night rider though (laughs) <laughs> yeah no it's all it's all greek to me you know what's funny about shows like knight rider though a lot of them were filmed uh-huh. in, like actual right. film cinematic film right and when they re-release them they're they're like in hd even though like the original show was on tv or something right did right. you guys film video i that? we actually shot in in video um but it had this process called film look mm-hmm. which was some sort of electronic process at the time uh it was before high def um, so the film look gave it a filmic look, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And the show had a unique look because the director, Jay Dubin, you know, he just has a very unique and very visual sensibility. Mm-hmm. So like all, you know, there were no zooms, the cameras never moved. Uh, it was all the actors just moved back and forth between the two cameras. Uh-huh. We were always really close to the camera. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, I, I always wonder, I ask people down in Mexico, like, why do you think the show is so popular down here? And they say, well, there's no good kids programming. And because, uh, you know, you made science interesting. But that doesn't explain 
people running in traffic and blocking my car and pounding <laughs> on the windows and you know uh like needing like, security and getting like mobbed Beatles and, quality <laughs> yeah it's it's it, that doesn't explain that that's emotion that's not some intellectual thing about science that's an emotional connection that it made with people and i think it's because i was so close to the camera i was making eye contact with the kids talking you know directly talking to them uh-huh. and kids don't make a big difference between the person on the tube and the person in the room uh-huh. they don't it, there's not a big difference between those so it was i think it was relatively easy for uh kids to make a real emotional connection with the character that's awesome. Uh, I have a friend who has a similar thing where he's on like Garage Wars or something like that. Or uh, it's it's Storage Wars. It's like one of these. And nobody really knows him here. But the show is like aired prime time in England. And so he goes to England. And it's, it's just like that. He gets mobbed. Right. So um, what... Uh, I, I'm, this is going to be kind of an uncomfortable question because I'm sure you get asked it a lot. What made you stop really doing that kind of... Uh, TV show or TV acting and go into puppeteering? Well, I actually didn't... It wasn't so much that I stopped doing that and went into puppetry. I did puppetry for many, many years before Beekman's World, and it was always my interest. So that's Um, what I'm curious. Is it just that that's more what you wanted to do and Beekman's World was like time off from that? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Beekman's World is just as much fun doing as doing the puppet shows. It had like almost a puppet feel to it, you know? Yeah. Now now that you think about it, now that you mentioned the fixed camera, that was part of it, I think. It was like... Yeah. And of course... um, Sorry, I'm blanking his name. Lester. Yeah, Lester. The guy in the rat suit. I mean, he's almost a a living (laughs) puppet. And he was originally supposed to be a puppet. That was the idea, that he was going to be a rat puppet. And the director said, no, the puppet can't help do anything. It's (laughs) useless. It's just going to be cut into this plush toy who's going to make some sarcastic remark, and and that's it. That's hilarious. So it's a perfect example of where you don't want a puppet. And I'm Mm -hmm. a puppeteer. I'm totally into puppets. I just taught a workshop down at Pasadena Playhouse to directors about when to use a puppet in a show and when not to use a puppet. And that's actually a classic example when you don't want it. Because yeah. a guy in the rat suit can hold something. He can do stuff. Uh, it's also he, just, it's hilarious because he's like this big guy. Right. And he just, you know, the idea that a rat would be human size. So that was so awesome. So he was I hired because he was a puppeteer like me. Neither uh-huh. one of those actors were both puppeteers. And he got hired to do a puppet. And I remember the day he showed up. Mark Ritz was his name. A fantastic guy. Brilliant uh, comedian. And the day he showed up, he said, well, actually, you're going to be in a suit. You're not going to be. And, and he, <laughs> just... he was, yeah, he was a little shocked, but uh, he, he, <laughs> he figured just... it out. And he was, yeah, he was, he was amazing. That's a strange thing. First day of work. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, why science in particular? Is that your preference or was that, did you just feel like that was a role you were doing or do you have, uh, do you have a real love for I don't science have a community. I don't have a science background. Like I said, you know, puppetry is my background. That's and political satire, comedy. Mm-hmm. But I also, for many years, uh, I did slideshows, contestoria, which is storytelling with pictures, which is an ancient art form where you use pictures, paintings, or whatever, and you flip them over and you tell a story. It's basically pre- precursor to slideshows. And I took real information like the U.S. government's plan uh, in the event of a nuclear war, what to do for civil defense, where there were risk areas after the nuclear explosion and host areas. So, you know, 
Cleveland blows up from a nuclear explosion, and then you go to the phone book, and you look at, oh, I'm supposed to go to so-and-so, and and then, you know, you can get your mail forwarded if you're dead. I mean, there's all this <laughs> shit that the, that the government wrote in uh-huh. the 80s uh-huh. for uh, civil defense in the event of a nu- nuclear war. So I would take that information, turn it into comedy, just basically by reciting it and showing it and then having accompanying uh, pictures. And the pictures uh-huh. were my gags and commentary. So I was used to taking data or facts and turning it into entertainment. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a very good example. That's a good description of Beacon's World, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and there were other shows that I did. Um, Command and Control with nuclear weapons was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how nuclear weapons get fired in the chain of command. And that's not inherently funny, but it's inherently absurd and, you know, freaking yeah. crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so the idea of... of and, and I had a show called Food, P-H-O-O-D, where I played a food technologist... And I wore a chef's toque and uh, and I basically got brochures and photographed them about different ingredients and processes. And, you know, like we put um, microcrystalline cellulose, which is basically wood that's in, in food. Mm-hmm. So um, I would just find the brochures, photograph them, do the slides and then have my commentary. So this is what I sent when, because they looked for a guy to play Beekman in Hollywood. And what they told me was all they could find were like sitcom dads. They couldn't find a, a weird, they couldn't find the right, you know what I mean? They uh-huh. just couldn't. That'd be weird enough. Yeah, which yeah. is, it sounds, I mean, you know, from an actor's perspective, it's like there's so much competition in Hollywood. But if you're a producer, there's like nobody talented in the whole town. It's like impossible <laughs> to find anybody. I mean, I understand. I've been on yeah. both sides of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they went They went to the director. And he says, well, I know this freak in New York who does these puppet shows with found objects. And we had met each other in New York and pitched some crap to HBO. And, uh, and that was that. So they flew me out and they had looked at the slideshow and basically I was doing science with a lab coat, but a chef's toque, you know, with slides. And they said, oh, this guy gets it. And I did an audition and, you know, it went okay. I was nervous or whatever, but I knocked over some water and then I just ad-libbed and splashed around in that. And the civilians love that, you know, when you, <laughs> when you do something off the cuff, it's like magic to them, uh-huh. you know. And so that sealed the deal. That's awesome. Uh, so you said you did a show with Found Objects in New York. What was the name of the show? Uh, well, I've done probably, oh, 10 or 12 or fi- I don't know how many, uh, where I, I work with the Bread and Puppet Theater, which is a seminal, like, anarchist, neo-German expressionist, 60s protest theater. Mm-hmm. When I, you know, when I was a teenager, I joined. And so I came out of that just wanted to do my own work, which would be more crass and vulgar and more American and more comedic. And I just thought I'll use found objects because I'm a child of the 60s and the whole pop art thing, the Klaus Oldenburg and and what's his name, Warhol with the soup can, all made sense to me. It's like, oh yeah, soup can, yeah, it's hilarious. (laughs) So, and Oldenburg with the vinyl toilet and, Uh you know, the giant French fries and all that shit. I thought, as a kid, I thought that's just great. You know, Uh I was totally into that. So what I wanted to do is just take packaging materials and toys and tools and appliances and, you know, all kinds of crap and then animate that stuff as puppets. That's awesome. Uh, So I've been doing that for years and I'm actually working now on doing a web series about me going to Mars. Oh, that's awesome. Um, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, cool. about me. Uh, I, I don't think the science folks are going to like it because there's not going to be any. It's all going to be like made up bullshit science. <laughs> and I like I'm trying to figure well, out. I can change that if you want. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, my last episode actually was with um, uh, uh, Robert Zubrin, who uh-huh. is actually the guy who planned the Mars mission. So and before that, I had Andy Weir. So between oh, right the three of us, if you need uh, any help making it accurate, if you want to. Oh, I, that's great. Can, I could definitely help out with that for sure. Well, I was trying um, to figure like how am i going to get to mars in the show Uh and i decided i'd go on youtube and look at some movies and i saw a 1904 movie about a scientist who goes to mars and he invents something called reverse gravity Uh not (laughs) anti-gravity it's very pro-gravity you know Mm -hmm. we're not anti-gravity it's reverse (laughs) gravity (laughs) and it's just some shit that he mixes up in his toaster (laughs) oven or whatever it is and he sprinkles it on on the chair and the chair Uh of course floats up because, you know, it's old movies. They're like, yeah, put a string on that thing. Make it float. It was uh-huh. all, you know. And so I'm going to steal that idea. I'm that, just going gonna... to. I love that. I got a I got a little anecdote that is not public that I think you're going to love about it. So uh, Kip Thorne, who wrote Interstellar, or was the executive producer. Have you seen Interstellar? I did, yeah. Yeah. So um, so he, he also just won the Nobel Prize in physics. And he's, he lives here in Pasadena. Um, he gave a backstory as to what they were. You know how they kept saying they were trying to solve the gravity equation? And, you know, they had to take all this data from behind a black hole. He said that we didn't put it in the movie because it, it didn't matter. And it was it, you wanted it to not really be that important. But he's, that's what he said that they were looking for, is they were looking for a way to reverse gravity. That's his solution to right. how they all get off the Earth. He said he just, you know, just didn't make it in the movie because you don't, it's not part of the plot because it's, you know, you just arrive in the future. And also, right. he didn't want it, you know, nobody wanted it that specific. But you got this guy, Nobel Prize winning guy. Uh, expert in gravity, and yeah, that was his backstory. So I think ah. that's legit, right up there. Right. Well, maybe he stole it from the same movie from 1904. No, well, no, he stole it from studying oh. Einstein's theory of relativity for oh. several okay. decades. Well, yeah, <laughs> he has more sophisticated right. sources than I do. Um, but it's with found objects and different junk in a toy theater, which uh-huh. is like a miniature proscenium theater. And so it's got a little curtain in the front and, you know, it's the size of like a, you know, a TV or whatever. But uh-huh. it, and so it has a front curtain and a back curtain and all that. So we'll actually have me in my garage, you know, announcing the show and then the little curtain will go up and then I'll jiggle all this crap. There's different found objects in there as I go to Mars. That's awesome. And <laughs> I, uh, the way we do it is we just get in there and get a lot of objects, and we actually cast the thing before we even have a plot. So, you know, I look at stuff and say, oh, like I have a Mars rover toy. Uh-huh. So that's going to be the, the Roomba in the in the uh, Mars apartment or I whatever. I have one of those two up there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we want to visit uh, the sun. We're going to go to the sun. All the people on the sun are just skeletons because every, <laughs> everything else burned off. Um, so it's like skeleton land. And then, you know, the, uh, I use a lot of action figures and dolls and different crap to play me. Mm -hmm. And actually every time you cut to me, it'll be pretty much a different puppet. Uh Um, which, uh, we'll have to see if that works. For a reason? Just for laughs. Just so you don't get bored with the same. And it's just funny. Uh, And then of course I have to wear some sort of gimmick for the, um, To make sure you know it's you. Every time? Uh, well, no, I mean, I need like a suit, like a Mars suit. And that'll be anything that's like see-through plastic. So plastic bags, plastic cups, <laughs> you know, take out the Tupperware, just sitting on my head or whatever. Uh-huh. And um, and we have Martians. We're going to have like a Martian government and Martian city and 
all this different crap. <laughs> That's awesome. How long is it going to take to go from Earth to Mars in this show? Is it going to be a fast trip, or is it like you zip on over, or is it... Uh... You know, reverse gravity is really freaking quick. It's really yeah, quick. It's okay. really quick. So, you know, so you, don't saw... have to, you don't have to like live in the chair for a while, because it can get uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only bummer is there's no spaceship. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be a quick trip. And I did see the... the um, the rocket take off the other day like a couple of weeks ago did you uh-huh. see that uh yeah which one the one that made all the the, the... one that was going to mars the thing that's going to mars uh-huh. and and they launched it from vandenberg and it was at four o'clock in the morning and i got up and i see this freaking thing and it's it's going over what appears to be going over burbank airport <laughs> but it's not i think it's out yeah. in the sea or something yeah it's out but, it's uh it was unbelievable. It's like over. Just, it's going basically like right past Santa Barbara, kind of like right. Yeah. But you could see it, and yeah. it's like this big thing in the sky. <laughs> and then you could see it. It hit some launch level. I don't know if it was dumping something or what the hell it was doing, but it hit like another level where flames were coming out of uh-huh. it, and it was all orange. And and you know what was so cool about it was like, wow, that thing's actually going to sit on Mars. The thing I'm looking at is going to Mars. <laughs> So that blew my mind. It was worth getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to check that out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I love those launches. I, I make my kids watch them. Actually, they're into it now because SpaceX just puts them online. Like, they stream them and everything. And right. I love the. I think my favorite thing about it that nobody really ever used to do. Well, they did in the 80s with shuttle launches in the 80s. But it stopped happening. Is like... You need the cheering crowd, like, behind there. Right. You know, there's something... There was a there's sort of, like, this lack of enthusiasm that kind of, like, eventually took over. Right. Uh, where, you know, there'd be a show launch, and it was just very, like, septic, and they wouldn't have the, the shots of the crowd watching. I mean, I, maybe it might have been because of the Challenger accident, like, that got... You right. Know, it was too upsetting to have people's reaction or something. But right. that's also what made the cheering so, you know, so exciting. And... So SpaceX, what they've been doing is they're they're filming the rocket, uh, you know, at the launch site, like up close. But they also have everybody who works on it in the big room in uh, um, Hawthorne. They're all in Hawthorne. There's like a right. thousand people. And they're all like, you know, it's their work. So they're all sitting there cheering. And like, if something goes wrong, you hear them all moan, you know, oh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I just, that's one of my favorite things about the way they do it. And I feel like NASA just sort of lost its uh, entertainment edge, you right. know, or not just NASA, the other companies. They, there's, they go for the straight up dry stuff, you know, like, and it's coming right. on. VR2. <laughs> right. Oxygen tanks, pressure. <laughs> I love that shit though. And up, well, you, you need know, both. You need both for right. sure. You need the you need the announcer sounding like Apollo era and then you need the crowds cheering cuz it's only the crowds that they took away. Right. They just left the the, the right. announcer guy. We saw all that when I was a kid, you know, in the 60s, like uh-huh. for for the first missions that they did um they were televised and everything stopped to watch them in school and that that happened for quite a number of years and then that tapered off yeah but yeah they were pretty but now you can do it with the internet what's great is like right they're still on because there's an audience watching and now uh i know a lot of people watch it all around the world actually which was probably a lot i know the moon landing was watched around the world but i think like just you know showing every launch was very difficult back in the day but now you can do it you can you can be in south america Watching Beekman's World and then right, right afterwards watch a launch. Yeah. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about your um your political satire? 
And, and is that still going? Do you put that in everything you do, or is it like, do you it, go on stages? Yeah, I mean, when I started in, like, 77 doing shows, uh, there was not a lot of political satire around, believe it or not. I mean, there was um, Mark Russell was the guy on PBS who played the mm-hmm. piano, um, was- and uh, Larry Gelbhart did some political stuff, but there was just not, you know, comedians weren't doing a lot of political mm-hmm. material. Wasn't it also just kind of people exhausted from Vietnam and... Nixon that could kind of that thing. could have had something to do with it. It's not. It wasn't like today, where you have all yeah. these shows on and um, and comedians doing this material, and plus, you know, all the ridiculous fodder there is out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's been interesting doing puppetry and political satire and evolving over time. I played a lot of performance art venues where a lot of the shit was like abstract and obtuse, and um, and so you know, and my shit was just like pretty straight ahead entertainment with a with a political you know content political basis, um, and so now I'm I'm interested in exploring my own hypocrisy. That's kind of gotten to be part of it. Me is like every man, you know. We're mm-hmm. all so worried about this, that, and the other. In the meantime, we're driving our big SUVs and you know using mm-hmm. energy, but we want to save the planet. You know, it's, yeah. it's just such a crock of shit. Like going to the hotel and it says, oh, <laughs> save the planet, don't use so many towels. It's like th- this is how we feel good about ourselves by doing something that's pretty gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm doing a show now called White Like Me, a honky-dory puppet show. And it's basically the story of the ventures of white man, and it's the character white man, and that's um, the same white man. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, and his it's he uh, he lives on the planet Caucasoid, and you know God comes to him and he says, "Hey, white man, you know I, I have a mission for you." So he sends him out uh, to colonize and you know spread the good word of uh, white civilization. He lands on Earth, and Earth is populated by aliens, the little green alien. Uh-huh. dolls and then you know he enslaves them and all that and, <laughs> uh and then That's you know awesome. uh manifest destiny and but then he at the end of the show it, it, there's a whole scene in the north pole it's a dream that he has he's in the north pole and he becomes a polar bear and wait a minute polar bears are going extinct and so it's about white anxiety and this was before the trump thing i, I wrote the show like 10 years ago or eight years ago and but it was about white anxiety and and it was instigated by the fact that I did this thing. Um, it was a pitch session for like getting um, uh, presenters to say, OK, I will commission this show. I'll give you commissioning money. It's called the National Performance Network. So people are getting on pitch in their thing. It's a lot of people of color and they're talking about um uh, you know, their identity or their struggle as an African-American or, you know, um, maybe the, the internment camps, the Japanese-Americans. And, and I'm sitting there and listening to all this, and I said to myself, well, what about me? <laughs> and then I thought, well, that's fucked up. That's like, I, it's always, what do you mean, what, it's, what about me? It's been about me from like day one. Uh-huh. So I thought that was really interesting, that reaction. And that is white anxiety. It's like, wait a minute, you know, where do I fit into this picture? Mm-hmm. So that was the motivation for doing the show. And actually, I was going to pitch a different show the next day. And I ended up canning it and just saying white man you know i came up with a title and the whole thing (laughs) and before i sat down i had three commissioners so i've toured it i've been to to palermo and sicily and i've I've toured in uh in turkey and france took the show to portugal to estonia um you know it's been in atlanta and dc and la new york 
uh, and it's a toy theater show, and it's been a hell of a lot of fun, and it's been really interesting to do. That sounds fun. Um, uh, on the complete serious side of that, though, you mentioned like people going to Mars. Literally in the last episode, that was the, one of the things uh, Zubrin and other people have talked about that used to be science fiction discussion is just like this idea like what happens if we find microbes on mars i mean obviously we'll at first we'll all be very excited because like yay we found life or whatever but then we have to face the second part where there actually is like already a debate in the people who plan these missions to mars like well we obviously want to go there too and you know at what point you know what's the we're gonna you know do we want to wipe them out probably not but like how do we avoid that? Because if we just take it over, and you mentioned Manifest Destiny, it's like we literally are going to have that again, but with planets. And it doesn't, right. it's not just whether there's micros, but there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be like, well, Mars is a pristine place, and so it should be kept that way. Then there's a lot of other people who are like, we should turn it green, so, you know, to, to not green men, but, you right. know, <laughs> well, and green that's, with plants. We should terraform it. Right. And that's what part of what my motivation of doing this is. You know, it bugs me that people are saying, okay, we're going to screw up the Earth. we got to get the fuck out of here. We're going to Mars. That just pisses me off. That's that always like, bothers me. Yeah, <laughs> that's like idiotic and ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I get the thing of wanting to explore and go out there, and I'm ex- excited as anybody else seeing that thing, you know, my backyard that's going to Mars. I mean, that was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I I kind of question the whole um, colonizing thing and i want i'm i'm still formulating what actually happens when i get there well they're going to be martians i mean it has to be something because otherwise it's just you know it's boring it's rocks yeah so (laughs) who are the martians how have they screwed the place up or am i as human going there going to screw it up you know that's what that's all the stuff i got to figure out okay well um... but it's a medium array um it's a format for political satire, making yeah, satire yeah. about the way we humans operate on Earth. Yeah, and we we have this a really similar debate on Earth, not just, you know, even with things like deserts, you know, it's like, oh, it's dead, let's just bulldoze it and do something, to, you know, but right. we usually find out like, oh, there's actually something really nice there, like a endangered rabbit or right. something, you know, or, there's always something we find out about. Or something that is very important that functions in the greater ecosystem right that we don't even know about because we're not aware of it and um yeah i think that's gonna actually that might happen with mars we're gonna like but i think it's safe to say from past history i think there's no way it's not gonna happen that we take it over also just because that's generally the way people do things right you know um satire no satire right (laughs) just i think that's been a constant is like um, yeah the thing that always bothered me about saying well we're gonna fuck this one up but it's fine we have a backup is because like well if you can't take care of the one you've started off with you're probably not gonna be very good at doing the other one like why would be taking care of mars easier than taking care of earth that's right. impossible you yeah. know like uh all the things you have to be good at um to to be responsible on earth is uh yeah things you know it's 10 times harder on a, just a random other planet right uh, plus, the same assholes are going to be around. Let's right. face it. This is like if they're in a, they can just hop on a plane and come over. We're gonna we're gonna have all the same bullshit over right. there that we have here. Yeah. Well, we should definitely talk uh, because I'm 
we're just doing casting we're just putting Uh objects together in categories and we've been doing that for like months Uh i love how you call casting objects that's like yeah i keep hearing casting thinking like you know people (laughs) right (laughs) but it's a very ass backwards process where Uh basically we take objects and i'll take something and i'll say what's this and lynn jeffries my uh, artistic partner she and i will say we figured out okay this is what this thing is um and then okay so now we have like a, a ship let's say or a, we have a, a turkey or you know i i don't know we have a toaster oven or you know when i picked up the mars rover toy i said well this should be the the, the rumba that's you know that hilarious. cleans the, the, the quarters there uh. because there'll be, be people who'll be like no no that's the mars rover no it's the rumba and you know it does the the the, the cleaning so we do all the casting and the casting tells us what play the actors want to be in uh-huh. you know they they're they're like actors and then you write a play for the actors to be in so it's ass backwards it's not the way things are done but i don't care it's just the way that sounds fun i think mars rover makes plenty of sense because once you're on mars and you already have your your magic reverse gravity chair like right yeah bring the rovers oh and we have the the thing from star wars is it which is the the r2d2 you have r2d2 is it the white thing that is like a dome uh well he's white and blue and silver yeah Yeah. so that's going to be the trash compactor uh whoa what do you do about the lawyers with that one that sounds scary right like nasa's not going to sue you but what are you going to do if uh i heard like uh george lucas is pretty heavy-handed oh it's disney now it's worse right disney right like disney doesn't let those things slide are you worried about that no no okay no it's publicity yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah let them come after my little miserable puppet show (laughs) i love it yeah actually that's a good point How did you do? You watch the new Star Wars, the new ones. How do you feel about uh, I them? I saw one of them. Um, you I'm, think there's going to be an end, or do you think it's just going to be exponentially more and more until everything is Star Wars around us at all times? Or? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I have no idea. I'm. It's not. It's not something that. Um, I think a hell of a lot about. Yeah, I'm I'm at the point where I have no choice. Right. I mean, especially because uh, my kids are still young and right. they, like, it is not an option to not do it. I mean, I, I it used to be this thing where it's like, oh, if you like Star Wars, you're you're nerdy or something. And I I wish that was still true. <laughs> right. Because it's just I feel like uh, you know it's I feel like it's nerd cultural appropriation. You know, it's just right. it's been taken from the nerd sector. It just right. It's, it's just. Uh, you know, you go down the store aisle and it's just everywhere. Anyways, one of my pet I'm, peeves. I'm nerding out on Babylon Berlin on um, on Netflix, the German uh, oh, TV show about Weimar Germany. Uh-huh. So that's my uh, okay, nerd I'm gonna, out. I'm going to uh, check that out. Yeah, it's very serious. Not n- No comedy, no jokes. Just all death, murder, and we all know it ends really badly. <laughs> so uh, that's right up my alley. <laughs> Narzi TV. <laughs> Do you know the web series name yet? What are you gonna call it? The is it called White Man or what is? It? Uh, no, I'm I have been kicking around. Maybe uh, Zoomer goes to Mars or Zaloom on Mars or or Zaloom to Mars or something like uh, that. By the way, that's an epically cool name. Uh, is that your real name? Or yeah, is that, that's, yeah. That's like the last name lottery right there. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good um, showbiz you know, name. And I, I that's kinda... right up there with Wolf Blitzer. You know, uh-huh, right. just like <laughs> right. Paul Zaloom. That's that's a great one. Right. Wolf Blitzer. It sounds like some guy in a frat. He's <laughs> yeah. always lying in a pool of his own barf. Uh, that's Wolf Blitzer. 
my kid had a party once, and there was a kid, one of her friends. This was back when she was in high school or something. There was one kid lying in a pool of barf at my place in Vermont. And I said, who's that? And they said, oh, that's um, Barfy? No, what was his name? Barfy? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like his name was just what he yeah, does at Rolfie the end of the party. Or some reference <laughs> to him, because every party he went to, he puked at every... Uh, pukey! Pukey was his name. <laughs> just pukey. That's pukey. <laughs> Okay, that's, nice. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so uh, we have this problem with you know our local grocery stores. Although they seem to be all going out of business, but our local grocery stores here is Ralph. And anytime I have someone visit who's not from California or for Europe or something, they're like, uh, you know, "Why is is this named after a throw up?" You know, like, right? Which is I, I no good answer actually. I don't know. A guy named Ralph started a store, and someone else decided to call that throw up and. Here we are. Right. Uh, but maybe that's why they're going out of business. Uh, and they wonder, Vaughn, Vaughn what? <laughs> um, so what are your long-term plans past the web series? Do you have any? I mean, that's a pretty good long-term plan. So. Yeah. I uh, mean, I, a- I, 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 there's a web page um, called El Mundo de Beekman. It's actually a Facebook page. And it's got 750,000 followers. Oh, that's on, awesome. And uh, Facebook cut it off. They, I guess you have to pay to get more or some shit. I don't know what it is. Oh, weird. I'm not uh, active on there at all. Uh-huh. Um, unless I'm doing a gig or something, then maybe I'll post it on there. Uh, but I'm figuring that, that I will start publicizing it to them and try to get the folks down in Latin America to watch a show. And so there's kind of a built-in audience. And uh-huh. I can tour my show and do live theater. That's 100 people in a room. And I li- I still like doing the Beekman appearances, uh, especially down there. You know, I, I like doing that a lot. I get big audiences, like 5,000 people in Mexico City last That's time awesome. I played there. But uh, this thing, the web thing, I don't have to go to LAX. I don't have to deal with any of the bullshit. I just make these things at home. And whether I make any dough or not, that's a big question mark, but I'm trying not to think about that. I mean, you don't go into the theater business to make money, Mm -hmm. you know, unless you're an idiot. Yeah, same with stand-up. For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I know people make a lot of money, but it's usually because they did something else and then also do stand up. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I made a living doing theater pretty much all my life. And um, I just lucked out. And, you know, back in the day, there was more money around. There were more grants. You could tour. I never did the comedy circuit. I always played theaters and um, art centers and some art venues and uh, Did you ever do colleges? stand-up? No, no. Never even tried it. Or? No, I. My thing is like if somebody heckles me in the theater, I stop the show and I throw them out. I mean, I you know I I don't want to. I'm, I'm not. That I don't could wanna, be funny. I've seen that be funny. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't want to play in a coliseum. You know, I, we're you know being thrown to the lions. I I just uh-huh. don't. And plus, I have a lot of gack. There's a lot of tech. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's no room on the stages there. Yeah. And the sight lines are crappy. The lighting isn't great. I mean, it's, you know, puppetry requires stuff, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of stuff. Um, so, you know, sometimes right. I would end up in clubs and do stuff. But back in the day in New York, it was PS122 and Dance Theater Workshop and La Mama and Theater for the New City and, you know, venues like that uh-huh. that were like off, off, off Broadway. Um, so how do you feel about Bill Nye? 
Like, I sometimes, because a lot of people ask me, like, hey, did you watch Bill Nye as a kid? And I would always say, no, I watched, I like Beekman's World, but I didn't really get into Bill Nye. And now it's extra weird because, you know, I've had him on the show and stuff. So do you, do you feel, I'm, I'm, I already guess, I can, t- I think I can already tell just from your vibe that you, you do not feel a sense of competition in any way with him. But does that ever come up? Like, especially Latin America, does anybody, like is he popular there too? I don't even no, know. No, he's 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 unknown down there. Um, That's I'm, awesome. So you guys have like you got territory, right? <laughs> right? Right? Well, you know, His I state never has sections of earth. <laughs> I never great. felt competitive uh, with the guy. Um, uh-huh. He did when we were doing the show back then. He did uh, mention me a few times in the press in in not a favorable way. Oh. He said that he was a real scientist, but I was only a um, an actor, he called me once, and oh, then he geez. said I was a, only a performance artist, and I never really felt like responding to that. You know, uh-huh. which, I, I don't really see the point. I mean, the more science shows, the the merrier. You know. Well, um, I was a I was a very smart kid. I'll just throw that out there uh-huh. <laughs> modestly. Um, and so I usually knew if something was wrong as a kid. I don't remember there being anything like wrong about your show i mean there was a style to it that right really appealed to 90s kids i think that and i think that was part of the fun of it is like you know there was this nickelodeon thing and this the slime culture and all that stuff right that was really popular it was like rebellion through grunge you know right. which even went up to the music scene you know but um but you know first of all he's not a scientist <laughs> so it's bad that he'd claim that he doesn't now he's an engineer so right. a lot of people don't know but but also i've seen him make mistakes and I've seen him make more mistakes than you, so that's kind of uh, that's disappointing to hear that he said that. Yeah, I I just I you know I know that he was very inspired by Mr. Wizard, and mm-hmm. I my inspiration was actually uh, Soupy Sales. You know, I, I to me the the what was first and foremost was the comedy and the entertainment value of the yeah, show. Yeah, that had to be really powerful and really strong, mm-hmm. and and the you know the tentpole of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and and if that was good and if that worked and then the science it had to be understandable mm-hmm. and you know the writers were they did an amazing job they explained the theory of relativity to 10 year olds in 6 minutes I mean how the hell they figured that out I, <laughs> you know that's complicated uh-huh. but it's interesting taking complicated things and figuring out a way to explain them uh, very visually uh-huh. very graphically and simply and also with comedy yeah I and mean, that's this, fun you're describing my life goal basically yeah and I've yeah. done live shows I did did a show about um, neuroscience that I actually premiered at um, Beckman Auditorium, uh, oh, Beckman awesome. on the Brain. Yeah, which and, uh, which is in Cal- Caltech. It's the big auditorium at Caltech for yeah. the listeners. And and it was yeah. about um, brain science. Uh-huh. And uh, I... How did I not hear about this? I've been at Caltech forever. I don't... This was not properly advertised. Yeah, this was probably 10 a, years ago or uh-huh. something like well, that. Well, was around. So someone... Some, some kind of system didn't work out or something but it was great and i don't need to be a scientist to research uh the brain and figure out what is it about the brain you know my kid said to me oh you should do um uh what's his name i'm blanking on his name the guy that the the um railroad worker who had the the rod go through his head yeah, in Vermont. yeah um uh-huh. I, i'm um I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. She said, you should put him in the show. I said, I can't f- perform for kids and have a, you know, a, <laughs> a, a, um, a tamping rod uh, fly through his head. That's like disgusting. And then 
I found a kid's book that, of course, had that in there, and kids love that. So I did a toy theater. Phineas Cage? Yeah, Phineas Gage. Gage. Phineas Gage. So I have a toy theater. I have a puppet, and I have the rod, and it goes through his head, and I flip the puppet around. He's got a hole in his head, and there's blood uh-huh. around it. And, you know, kids kids really enjoy that and like Dude, that. Dude, some kids watch Game of Thrones nowadays. That's right. nothing, which they shouldn't. I'm not endorsing that. I'm just saying it happens. Right. That is the hardest show to get your kids not to watch, though, because it's like they always see the... Like, when... When my wife and I are watching it, it's like, it's like, oh, there's dragons. It's like, like everything's fine. And then right. all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, this next scene, let's stop. Are you a fan of that show? I am no. not. No? No, I have not seen that. Not seen it or you're not a fan? Both. Both. Okay. <laughs> you're like, I will not give that a chance. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in history. Uh-huh. And so. And this is all fake history. Yeah. yeah. I, um. That's why the Babylon Berlin, it's also fake history, but a lot of it relates to actual events that were happening politically in the Weimar period. Uh-huh. And it was an explosion of music and theater, you know, Bertolt Brecht and, and uh, Kurt Weill and all the painters, Otto Dix and George Gross. There were so many amazing things that happened in Germany between the wars. And so anything to do with that is something I'm going to obsess with and, and totally get into. And plus they were, you know, it was wild. Berlin was wild in those days. Uh, yeah. yeah the, you know, the yeah. amazing. How do we get uh, back to that? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's just my I obsession. I guess we have but, our own kind of wildness nowadays. But Indeed. Eh, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Man, the world is full of a lot of opinions right now. And I, I never thought I would. Uh, I always thought that would be a good thing. And now I'm like slightly wondering like maybe less opinions maybe less no i don't right. know it'll work out <laughs> yeah i sure hope just, so uh, are you on the internet a lot um or do you just do it for promotion or, or uh, i am less about promoting myself i've been really bad about staying on top of facebook pages and mm-hmm. websites and stuff like that i've just become more shy um i've been trolled a little bit and i found that very unpleasant yeah that'll, um that'll and happen. so i've kind of stepped away from that mm-hmm. but i i need to get over it and that's sort of meant by you know to find out too many you give a keyboard to everybody in the world and it's some yeah it can be unpleasant sometimes. yeah it's amazing i i'm amazed by the meanness and the bigotry and all i i, I didn't know that was out there i had no <laughs> idea i don't know what what rock island live under uh, but but uh, you know maybe uh maybe we need it to some degree because maybe like we have all these different ideas and opinions and cultures and maybe to some degree you know whenever cultures clash there's meanness involved so right maybe that's kind of i keep i'm keep trying to get a personal positive spin on it and i'm hoping that it's just you know we're just finding out there's a lot of assholes in the world and you know we'll talk to them for a while and just like anybody you can make friends with them eventually if you just listen to their point of view yeah um you know, I don't know. On the other hand, the robots are probably going to take over. So yeah. <laughs> oh, are you going to have any robots on your show? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So R two is just a trash can. So you don't can't have him. Yeah, but. I mean, if it's a robot, whatever plays it should be as unrobotic as possible. <laughs> right. Um, because just to have a robot doesn't like make an, sense in the context of the whole thing. Uh. Um. But yeah, I I I have to kick that around. Okay. Well, um, thank you for being on the show. This yeah, thanks really for having fun. me. Um, and it's cool that you live in the area. I hope we can hang out again sometime. Yeah, right um, on. Yeah. Is, and again, I'm totally serious. If you have any questions about the uh, the or want help with the show, 
um please let me know i work right. on thor so I've, i'm well established actually i built some props for thor uh-huh it's kind of like i mean you know <laughs> it's not quite a puppet but uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's cool yeah i had to make this uh pick out this equipment and one of them was like a high voltage thing and they wanted the screen to sh- show that it was on like they wanted the lights and stuff to be on there right but they we had to go to the manufacturer and they're like natalie portman's in the scene and they're like we can't kill natalie portman you have to we have to fix it somehow. right right <laughs> So that probably won't be a thing on your puppet show because you right. probably don't need to have high voltage on there. But and if I do, it'll be a piece of tin foil and a you know some bailing twine. Right. Awesome. All right. Uh, is there a place that people can follow you? You already mentioned the website. Do you, do you want people to tweet at you or or what's? Uh, I'm how's not. It going? I'm not a big uh, tweeter, a tweeter these days. All right. Um, but. I this is like people be... when they say, I haven't decided to run for president yet. Right, That's right. the new one. It's like, I haven't <laughs> right. decided if I'm going to start tweeting everything I think out loud. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm going to, um, once we see the light at the end of the tunnel, we're going to try to get some uh, word out there so people can see the Mars show. So uh, Okay, there's also uh, Zaloom.com. Yeah. Yeah, definitely go there because you can see, uh, that's where you can see um, Paul's tour dates and stuff like that yeah and there's yeah. also some um links to clips like five minute clips of some mm-hmm. of the old shows which are, are mildly amusing yeah and also i don't know if you probably don't get royalties for it but if you want to watch old episodes of uh of beekman's world you can just search for it on youtube and they're all there probably not legit but <laughs> that's right <laughs> all right thanks for being on the show oh, thanks awesome. for having me